We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 537 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, March 28th, 2023, and our DC defenders of the XFL are 6 and 0. Oh. Yeah, Washington, DC's XFL team is 6 and 0, oh, a 37 26 win over the Houston Roughnecks at Audi Field on Monday night. Hey, who says that D.C.-based pro football teams do not do well in home games on Monday nights? Uh, Defenders head coach Reggie Barlow, Defenders defensive coordinator, former Redskins assistant head coach in charge of defense, Greg Williams, and the rest of the crew get the job done. Greg Williams, who never forget spells his first name with three G's, G-R-E-G-G, Two G's at the end of the name. Snoop Dogg says that he is the D-O-double-G. Greg Williams is the G-R-E-double-G. And the G-R-E-double-G and his defenders are six and doe. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We are anticipating the NFC coaches breakfast at the NFL's annual league meeting, which is taking place at the Biltmore in Phoenix, Arizona. Commanders head coach Ron Rivera and every other NFC head coach speaking to reporters. This off Commanders general manager Martin Mayhew speaking to reporters on Monday afternoon and addressing a variety of topics. Next segment, I'll take it through and react to what GMMM had to say about the commander's quarterback situation, including the team not pursuing Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson and going with Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. We on Monday morning had big Lamar news. He, via a series of tweets, revealed that he has asked to be traded, but that has not changed the commander's stance on Lamar. As much as I know that that disappoints many in the national media, including our friend Pro Football Talks, Mike Florio. Uh, Also, Martin Mayhew talked about the commander's still not being sure about exercising the fifth-year option in the rookie contract of edge defender Chase Young. Boy, the commanders continue to dangle this fifth-year option in front of Chase. I have some thoughts 
on that. Additionally, the sale of the Commanders. We apparently have a new bidder, at least according to the sports junkies, uh, former Duke basketball player and former NBA player Brian Davis, uh, who went to Bladensburg High School in Bladensburg, Maryland. He, per the junkies, has made a $7 billion cash offer for the Commanders. Where the heck did this come from? Uh, I will address that as well as comments on the sale of the Commanders and on Commanders co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder from two prominent NFL owners, Indianapolis Colts owner and CEO Jim Irsay and Dallas Cowboys owner president and general manager Jerry Jones. Wait until you hear what Jera had to say about the Commanders franchise. And then I am going to welcome on a terrific guest, sports writer Liz Clark of the Washington Post. Uh, Liz has been at the forefront of the Post reporting on the sale of the Commanders and on the Dan Snyder saga. In fact, Liz was targeted in the alleged shadow investigation perpetrated by the Danny. Uh, she's going to talk about that as well as everything going on with the sale and with Dan. Liz Clark is really well-informed, has a lot of great intel, prepared to become smarter on the sale and on the Dan Snyder situation via my chat with Liz. And also on the show, surprising Orioles news to discuss. Remember, this is a Washington, D.C. sports podcast that actually talks about the O's because there still are many Orioles fans in the Washington, D.C. area. I don't just pretend that there aren't, uh, but the O's on Monday afternoon optioned their top pitching prospect, Grayson Rodriguez, to AAA Norfolk. I'll get into why and take it through key comments from O's Executive Vice President and General Manager, Mike Elias. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi Podcast at yahoo.com. I want to thank the many of you who tweeted and emailed over the last week about the delay for this podcast on Google Podcasts. Most of you get this show via Apple Podcasts, but a good number of you do get the show from Google Podcasts. And the show on Google Podcasts for a little more than a week was taking hours to show up. Like, five, six, seven hours, maybe more. I don't want to bore you <laughs> with the minutia of this podcast, but the way that this works is I record the show, I upload the show to a master site, and then the master site provides the show to all of the various platforms. So Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, etc. Well, the show was showing up just fine on the platforms with the exception of Google Podcasts, which interestingly had been the platform on which the show would show up the quickest. Well, I'm happy to say that at least on Monday morning, the Al Galdi podcast was back to showing up on Google Podcasts with lightning speed. Hopefully, the problem, whatever it was, has been solved. Hopefully, as was said in the great movie Office Space, we fixed the glitch. We fixed the glitch. Yes, hopefully we fixed the glitch, uh, but thank you to Joe Rosnowski, Jerry Bryant, Wendell Hicks, Robert Delaney, Big Daddy J, <laughs> Mind Aftermath PhD, Frank, Burgundy, and Bold, uh, for all of your tweets slash emails alerting me and updating me on the issue. The militia that is the listenership of the Al Galdi podcast was unleashed 
via this Google podcast problem. Although, you know, you got to keep in mind, Google is a small, up-and-coming, mom-and-pop type company, so it's doing the best that it can, okay? Stop being so demanding, please. Uh, Tweet from Thomas on the sale of the Commanders, writes Thomas, I am absolutely convinced that Dan is managing the sale exactly like everything else he has ever managed poorly. He is insisting on getting $7 billion and will use every trick that he has used before to try to get $7 billion. Lies, threats, rumors, media, his personal bag of tricks. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Thomas. When it comes to the $7 billion thing, look, would Dan Snyder love to get $7 billion for the commanders? Absolutely. But I do think that it's quite possible that his true number is $6 billion and that he put the $7 billion figure out there in order to make sure that he gets $6 billion. Keep this in mind. The record sale price for an NFL team is the Denver Broncos going for $4.65 billion to the Walton Penner Group in a sale that was finalized last August. So the record is $4.65 billion. $7 billion when the record is $4.65 billion has always felt a bit steep. Although with the skyrocketing valuations of NFL teams, who knows? uh, You know, Forbes this past December 22nd did report that Dan Snyder had received bids for the commanders that were, quote, well north, end quote, of $7 billion. That report has never been confirmed by anyone. And in fact, the bulk of the reporting has been in contrast to that report. And so that Forbes report from this past December 22nd does seem to have been fake news that was leaked by Team Dan Snyder. But here we are now, the sports junkies on Monday morning saying that Brian Davis is offering $7 billion for the commanders. Well, I can't guarantee that advertising your business or practice on the Al Galdi podcast will put you in contention to buy the Commanders, but I can tell you that advertising your business or practice on the Al Galdi podcast will grow your business or practice and make you more money. Podcast advertising is very affordable. You very much get bang for your buck. And especially in our current economy, podcast advertising is the way to go. And podcast advertising works. Email us. See what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Well, before we get to our special guest, sports writer Liz Clark of the Washington Post on the sale of the Commanders, I have some actual Commanders football talk for you. Among those from the Commanders in attendance at the NFL's annual league meeting at the Biltmore in Phoenix, Arizona, is General Manager Martin Mayhew. Uh, He, on Monday afternoon, spoke with reporters, and he completely dismissed the notion of the Commanders acquiring Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. This was about as clear of a denial as you're going to get. Lamar on Monday morning put out a series of tweets in which he admitted that he on March 2nd requested to be traded. Uh, The Ravens on March 7th slapped Lamar with the not-exclusive franchise tag, meaning that he can sign an offer sheet with another team and potentially be traded to that team. So think about the timeline. March 2nd, Lamar requested to be traded. March 7th, the Ravens applied the not-exclusive franchise tag to Lamar, essentially allowing him to shop himself via trade. And every indication is that the market for Lamar has been lukewarm, if not disappointing. 
Uh, Lamar, I believe, is being humbled by this entire process. And I actually think that he may end up playing for the Ravens this coming season, although clearly there is a disconnect between Lamar and the Ravens. But whatever, that is a Ravens problem. From our standpoint as Commanders fans, this Lamar Jackson situation has been comical because for weeks now, the national NFL media has been begging the Commanders to pursue Lamar Jackson, even lecturing the Commanders on why they should pursue Lamar Jackson, even though A, the local Commanders media has made it quite clear that the Commanders are not in on Lamar, and B, there are legitimate reasons for the commanders to not be in on Lamar. And I, on this podcast, have talked about these reasons. He would cost a lot, both in terms of trade compensation and contractually. He, in each of the last two regular seasons, has missed five games due to injury. He is at his best when he is a run threat, which is conducive to injury. He, When he has played in each of the last two seasons, has not been great And if we all agree that the Ravens are one of the smarter teams in the NFL, and yet the Ravens, who know Lamar better than any other team in the NFL does, still have not worked out a contract extension with him, then doesn't that tell you that they maybe possibly don't want to work out a contract extension with him, or at least don't want to pay him what he wants? And if they don't want to work out a contract extension with him or don't want to pay him what he wants, you've got to ask why. What do the Ravens know or fear or believe that has compelled them not to do whatever it takes to sign their supposed franchise quarterback to a contract extension? We know the deal with the commanders at quarterback. They are positioning Sam Howell to be their QB1 for the 2023 season, and they have signed unrestricted free agent quarterback Jacoby Brissett to compete with Sam. And while it's possible that new ownership for the commanders might lead to a complete rethinking of the team's approach at quarterback. As things stand right now, the commanders are going with Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett as the team's primary quarterback plan for the 2023 season. And the team isn't wavering on this. This was Martin Mayhew on Monday afternoon on Lamar Jackson. And then you'll hear follow-up exchanges with sports director Darren Haynes of WUSA 9 and Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Yeah, you know what? I'm not going to get into Lamar specifically, but I will talk about free agency in general. You know, so there's literally hundreds of guys that are, that are, are free. And, um, you know, we probably end up making serious contract offers, having serious discussions with somewhere between 10 and 20 of those guys each year. So there are a ton of talented players that um, that could help us that we don't end up talking to for various reasons. And Lamar falls into that category. Why, why, why does Lamar fall into that category, knowing the caliber of player he is? Yeah, well, there, there are a ton of quality players. I mean, Javon Hargrave is an excellent, you know, really good defensive tackle. We're not talking to him, you know. So there, there are a number of reasons why we don't. I won't get into specifics about him. I don't want to sound critical of anyone. Um, he's an, he's a very talented guy. He's one of the better quarterbacks in this league. Um, but for us right now, we're moving forward with Sam and with Jacoby. How serious was the discussion between you guys before deciding not to do that? Yeah, well, we talk about everybody, you know, and our, our pro department evaluates everybody. So like I said, there are hundreds of, of players who are who are actually free. 
uh, we end up in our meetings having extensive, extensive discussions with a, you know, over probably you know 40 or 50 guys. And then we end up having contract negotiations with probably, like I said, 10 to 20 guys. So it's, this free agency period is no different than any other. There are a lot of talented players that we don't make offers to and that we don't have discussions with. All right, so that was a very clear series of answers from Martin Mayhew on Lamar Jackson. The commanders are not going down the Lamar Jackson path, and I don't blame them. And I say that as someone who likes Lamar a lot as a quarterback. I am not some like Lamar Jackson hater, okay? But as I've been saying, giving up what it would take to get him is not the automatic slam dunk yes that so many in the national media have made that out to be. The cost matters. His recent injury history matters. The obvious fracture between him and the Ravens matters. And there's also the potential that the commanders have in Sam Howell. Martin Mayhew on Monday afternoon was asked why the commanders this offseason have not been as aggressive at quarterback as they were last offseason when they uh, let the entire world know that they were in the midst of an all-out search for a franchise quarterback and, of course, ended up trading for Carson Wentz. Take a listen to Martin Mayhew's answer, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. Uh, you know, I, I would say we've been very impressed with Sam Howell uh, from start to finish. I know, I know the fans and, and you guys saw one game, but we saw Sam throughout his college college career. Uh, we saw him from the time that we drafted him last April. Uh, we saw him in rookie minicamp, saw him in OTA, saw him in training camp, saw him practice the entire season, saw him go out and beat a playoff team in his first start. We feel very, very confident in Sam Howell. The idea that you could get a player like Sam possibly to start and be on the rookie contract, how enticing is that? opportunity going forward. It is very enticing, and, and that's what a lot of teams have done and have been successful doing. It, it allows you to allocate resources to other areas on, on, on your roster. Um, you know, we got some uh, we have some other issues to take care of, you know. Um, we've got some other guys who, who are going to be free. We want to take care of, of our own players, so it really helps us in terms of being able to take care of the players on our roster right now who are going to be free agents and to be more aggressive in free agency going forward. Okay, a pretty strong endorsement of Sam Howell right there from Martin Mayhew. Uh, I will totally admit that a year from now, we may well look back at all of this Sam Howell talk and laugh and say, how ridiculous is it that we thought that Sam Howell might be the answer at quarterback? I mean, the possibility of that scenario does exist. For years now, we have considered and pondered Washington quarterbacks as potential solutions to our team's decades-long problem at quarterback, only for those quarterbacks to end up being punchlines. I mean, you think about, you know, Heath Schuler and Donovan McNabb and John Beck and Dwayne Haskins and Carson Wentz. Uh, it very well could be that Sam Howell joins that list. But, you know, it also could be that Sam doesn't join that list. And the last part of that cut that I just played for you, the possibility of a quarterback on a rookie contract working out. That, of course, is the dream scenario. Here are your remaining salary cap hits in the contract to Sam Howell as a player who was taken by the commanders in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft. 2023, a cap hit of $960,000. $400. 2024, a cap hit of 
$1.075 million. 2025, a cap hit of $1.19 million. Now, of course, none of this matters if Sam Howell is a bad quarterback. And I mean, there's no guarantee that he'll even be the commander's starting quarterback for the 2023 season. But if he does end up being the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season, and if he does end up being decent, if not good, if not very good, uh, the commanders could have a massive competitive advantage in the NFC East for years to come. A solid, if not good, if not very good, starting quarterback on a fifth round rookie contract, while the other three teams in the division are paying their QB1s mega money. When you think about the Dallas Cowboys' Dak Prescott already having his big money contract, including a salary cap hit for the 2023 season of $49.13 million. Uh, The New York Giants' Daniel Jones this offseason having signed a big money contract extension, four years, $160 million, $82 million guaranteed at signing. And the Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts, almost certainly uh, will be getting his big money contract uh, sometime before the start of the 2023 season, given that he's entering the final season of his rookie contract and that he just had an excellent 2022 season. Uh, what about Jacoby Brissett? Uh, the commanders on March 16th officially announced the signing of Brissett. Uh, it is a one-year, $8 million deal with $7.5 million fully guaranteed. This was Martin Mayhew on Monday afternoon on Brissett. Yeah, well, Jacoby was a guy that uh, we all had uh, consensus on, a veteran guy who's been a starter in the league, played well last year, we thought. Um, So I sat down and talked with him when he came in. It was really a really good visit. Very impressed with him as a young man. Heard a lot of good things about him, who who he is and what he adds to our locker room. Uh, So we're excited about having him with us. Um, The guy's got an NFL arm. He can make every throw. Um, he's athletic. He can make people miss in space. He's not, you know, straight line fast, but he's got some uh, some pocket presence and has a really good feel for where the pressure is coming from and knows where to go with the football. Um, so we're excited about about having Jacoby with us. And as we have discussed, uh, Jacoby Brissett coming off a very nice 2022 regular season for which he was number eight among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR and number seven among all qualified NFL quarterbacks in Football Outsiders DVOA metric for passing. Is edge defender Chase Young going to have a very nice 2023 season? Well, Commander's head coach Ron Rivera on February 9th, uh, which was the Thursday before the Super Bowl, spoke with various media outlets, and he said that he had not yet decided whether he'll exercise the fifth-year option in Chase Young's rookie contract. Ron said that not exercising that fifth-year option could serve as motivation for Chase. Well, this was Martin Mayhew on Monday afternoon on where things stand with the commanders potentially exercising Chase Young's fifth-year option, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Ben Standig. And we're still talking about that. You know, we have a number of things to work through. Uh, we're getting through the first part of free agency right now. We're still in draft preparations. We have until May uh, to make that 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 decision, and, and and we'll you know we'll we'll make the appropriate appropriate decision at the right time. That you uh, signed Duran since we uh, last spoke. Does that complicate the Chase situation? Knowing you already paid 
two linemen as much money as you have with John and Duran? Is that complicated possibly picking up that? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, you, you, it's, it's all about players. It's all about quality players. It's about that, that, and that's the way you win football games. So uh, we had no problem, uh, you know, putting that amount of money into two, two defensive, defensive tackles, and we had no problem moving forward with defensive ends if we need to. Okay? I find it really hard to believe that the commanders still have not decided whether they're going to exercise Chase Young's fifth-year option. And you think about this. First, Ron Rivera and now Martin Mayhew, like dangling this fifth-year option in front of Chase Young. This all very much feels like messaging. Uh, Remember what happened in the 2021 season prior to Chase Young's right knee getting injured. Chase did not adhere to the defensive scheme, and the result was a very disappointing second NFL season for him prior to his torn right knee. And it was during the season that Ron Rivera took to publicly sending messages to Chase Young. This dangling of the fifth-year option to me very much feels a lot like that public messaging to Chase in the 2021 season. You know, for whatever reason, the commanders feel like they need to send these messages to Chase. They need to motivate Chase. And so they send him these messages. And, you know, that is concerning that the commanders feel this need to do this with Chase Young. I think more and more, it feels like he may not be the easiest guy to coach, to deal with behind the scenes. Um, You know, otherwise, why the heck would the commanders be so openly undecided about this fifth-year option. Like, why wouldn't they just decline to talk about that? I mean, this is unusual that you are this open with your uncertainty about a player contractually. Talking publicly about not exercising the fifth-year option conveys that you're not sure if the player is worthy of the option. Why would you put that out there for a reason other than sending a message to the player? Let's make this clear, not exercising the fifth-year option on a player, especially one on whom you spend the number two overall pick in the 2020 draft is a major indictment of that player. I mean, you can dress up not exercising the fifth-year option however you want, but the bottom line is that not exercising the fifth-year option on a player is a big-time indictment of that player. It is debatable whether the commanders should exercise the fifth-year option on Chase Young. The option is for $17.452 million for the 2024 season. Uh, There are pros and cons uh, to each side of that argument. But what continues to stand out to me isn't so much whether the commanders should exercise the option. What continues to stand out to me is that the commanders are being so publicly undecided about the option. And you gotta wonder why. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, as the NFL's annual league meeting at the Biltmore in Phoenix, Arizona continues, also continuing are the reports on the sale of the Commanders and on all that is going on with Commanders co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder. And we now have word of a new bidder for the Commanders. Uh, The Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan on Monday morning reported that former Duke basketball player and former NBA player Brian Davis has put together a group to buy the Commanders with an official offer, a cash offer, in fact, of $7 billion. Yeah, $7 billion. Uh, $7 billion reportedly has been the magic number for Dan Snyder. Uh, Brian Davis is a local. He went to Bladensburg High School in Bladensburg, Maryland. He does, though, (laughs) have a bit of a checkered past. Uh, The Wall Street Journal in March 2012 chronicled the checkered past of Brian Davis, talking about how Davis and another former Duke player, heck, a former Wizards player, Kristen Leitner, started a real estate company called Blue Devil Ventures. But by 2006, Davis and Leitner got sued by various people slash entities, including NBA legend Scottie Pippen. Of course, the last thing that the commanders need is another owner with the sketchy practices and or money problems. But at least according to the sports junkies, Brian Davis has made a $7 billion offer for the commanders. As we talked about on Monday's show, episode 536, the reporting on the sale of the commanders has been all over the place. You don't know what to believe anymore. Now, the junkies have had intel on the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders before, so I would not just completely dismiss what the junkies had on Monday morning. But yeah, I also do not blame you if uh, you're not sure what to make of this Brian Davis development, especially given his past. Uh, Meantime, sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports, he on Monday afternoon regarding the sale of the commanders reported that, quote, two team executives told Front Office Sports that there is now a belief that it will occur soon. Another source told FOS that there are indications that the sales talks are at a critical juncture, end quote. 
Also, longtime NFL insider Peter King, he of NBC Sports, uh, he and his Football Morning in America column that came out early Monday morning had this on the sale of the commanders in Dan Snyder at the annual league meeting. Quote, the Snyder story, most league people don't expect a resolution here. The feeling is it's somewhere between likely and very likely that Snyder ends up selling the entire franchise and not just a piece. Here's an interesting thing I found out Sunday. One source with significant financial knowledge about the league said Snyder is highly unlikely to get his dream price for the team, $7 billion. Snyder, this source said, is more likely to sell the full asset for something just over $6 billion. Not bad. That's still seven and a half times the price he paid for the franchise 24 years ago. How many businesses get that kind of return over a quarter century, particularly while running the business into the ground, (laughs) as Snyder has done? End quote. Well, at least according to Peter King, the belief at the league meeting is that Dan Snyder is going to end up selling the entirety of his ownership of the commanders. Additionally, we on Monday had various NFL owners addressing the sale of the commanders and addressing the Dan Snyder situation. Indianapolis Colts owner and CEO Jim Irsay, he this past October 18th at the NFL Fall League meeting in Manhattan, New York, became the first NFL owner to publicly question whether Dan Snyder should remain as an owner of the commanders. This was Irsay on Monday night on the sale of the commanders and on Dan Snyder. I think think of um, you know things not going well. You, you think of them hopefully going right, and and uh, like you said, you know um, a sale taking place, which will be you know um, greatly beneficial for everyone, and and uh, um, and that's what you hope for. But but you know only time will tell because right now the the hope is is for a sale. All right, so Jim Ursay on Monday night, not as outspoken on Dan Snyder as Ursay was in October, but Ursay did say that a sale of the commanders would be, quote, greatly beneficial for everyone, end quote. He's certainly right about that. Uh, and Ursay also said that, quote, the hope is for a sale, end quote. Here was Ursay on Monday night on NFL owners potentially voting out Dan Snyder as commander's owner. Well, I think, you know, you hate to speculate like that because, um, I, I, I mean, you know, th- that is in the Constitution for a reason, but you never hope to get down those trails. I mean, I think that we're going to do what we've always done with deals like with, with, um, with Denver or, or Carolina. I mean, it's just, it's going to be, you know, fair and equal treatment where, um, you know, there's, there's a normal course of aspects that happen during a sale. And we're going to stay along those lines, you know. So, I, I mean, um, there would be no reason for us to be given any sort of unusual indemnification. Ah, uh, yes, the indemnification. Uh, more on that shortly. But also on Monday was Dallas Cowboys owner, president, and general manager Jerry Jones speaking to reporters uh, on Monday afternoon. Uh, now, Jerry, in a piece by NFL columnist Jared Bell of USA Today Sports that came out this past January 13th, distanced himself from Dan Snyder. Said Jerry, regarding sticking up for Dan, quote, is he worth me taking a sword He's not Al Davis. For me, he's not. End quote. Well, this was Jerry on Monday afternoon on his current relationship with Dan. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange. 
I think that uh, 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 the natural thing you looked at, I think it's a little more formal. Uh, but I think it's uh, that way because of the uh, various uh, uh, issues that are involved here. Uh, so uh, uh, it's not lovey-dovey, but it's not uh, 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 really strained in any way. And um, I'd, nothing, there's been no issues that's come up regarding uh, the, the team or Dan that have uh, created any compromising things for us. And uh, uh, I, at the end of the day, uh, uh, have uh, a little different thoughts than you read a lot about Dan. Uh, but uh, that's understandable when, when they're friends. But um, uh, uh, my, my overall overriding interest is that that uh, Washington team and that Washington area have the kind of team that uh, they are and should be. It's one of our top handful of franchises in this country. It's a national treasure. It really is. It's the uh, team in our nation's capital. It's highly visible uh, and creates a unique uh, perspective for fans as to the NFL. Do you anticipate a resolution here or is it too no. complicated? No. Yeah. no, there won't be one here. So, Jerry Jones on his relationship with Dan Snyder, quote, it's not lovey-dovey, <laughs> but it's not really strained in any way, end quote. And Jerry on the Commander's franchise, quote, it's a national treasure, end quote. Most truthful thing that Jera has ever said. Well, throughout this Dan Snyder saga, uh, we have discussed a number of reports from Dan's favorite newspaper, <laughs> The Washington Post. I am very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now someone who has done a lot of The Washington Post reporting on the sale of the Commanders and on the Dan Snyder saga and has covered the team in general for years. Sports writer Liz Clark of The Washington Post. Uh, she has been with The Post since March 1998, and is in fact retiring next week. Uh, she's working until April 7th, uh, so we needed to get her on the podcast before time ran out. Uh, you can follow Liz on Twitter, at Liz Clark Tweet, and Clark is spelled C-L-A-R-K-E. Liz, it is nice to talk to you. How are you? Well, I'm terrific. What a lovely introduction. Thanks for having me, and I'm delighted to talk commanders in whatever time remains. I'm not sure anything is going to be resolved in my final two weeks of work, but um, but anyway, happy to talk about whatever interests you. It certainly would be nice if the sale of the commanders was wrapped up by April 7th, but uh, that does not look like it'll be happening. You and commanders insider Nikki Javala and NFL insider Mark Maskey have had a lot of detailed reporting for the Washington Post on the sale of the commanders and on everything going on with Dan Snyder. A general question, the sense that I got from your report this past Friday night was that the sale of the team may not be as close to completion as previously thought, and as we know, the sale of the team isn't even on the official agenda for the NFL's ongoing annual league meeting in Phoenix. Do you think that we should be measuring the time until we learn of a sale of the commanders having been agreed on in weeks or months? Well, you know, if you had asked me a week ago, a month ago, I probably would have given you different answers, you know, based on what I've learned and my awesome coworkers, Mark Maskey and Nikki Jabala, are learning and we pull all our info. I think the proper time frame is months. Um, 
you know, there. this is, as you mentioned, the, the very big annual NFL meeting. It's not going to be resolved this meeting. It's not really going to come up. Um, the next meeting is in May. There's usually several months between um, a, a seller bringing a, a buyer to the league and then the league actually approving that person. So you could say best case scenario, maybe a buyer's identified by May and, uh, and it's approved by October. That's the next NFL meeting. They certainly can call a Zoom if they want to fast track any sort of business. It doesn't have to fall on those calendar dates. But um, I, for for lots of reasons, I'm thinking this is this is not moving apace at all. This is uh, this is going to, in fact, probably start slowing down. Okay, and along those lines, with something else that was in the report from the Washington Post this past Friday night, quote, the NFL and other owners are in the dark about the prospective buyers of the commanders because the lines of communication are completely down with Snyder, someone with knowledge of the owner's view said Friday, end quote. Uh, What more can you tell us about that? Dan going stone cold silent with the league and its other owners. Well, you know, again, I think you know the history, and, and you're, you have very smart listeners, so I don't know that any of this is revelatory, but, you know, in a typical NFL sale, it's handled by the NFL owner, who's usually an individual. Sometimes it's a trust if the person has died. So the the, the former Redskins were last sold by the John Kent Cook Trust, and that seller typically leads the sales process, but keeps the NFL up to date as they kind of go along. You know, here's who's coming forward. Here's who we're thinking about. Here's the numbers we're talking about. Just as sort of good business practices. And so nobody's blindsided selfishly so that they themselves are not blindsided at the end of the process. If the NFL says, you know, we really don't like the guy you chose, then this is not going to work for us. So that's just like the normal process. But, you know, from what we understand, uh, Snyder is keeping this very close to the vest, very close in house. You know, Bank of America Securities is handling the, the, the bank side of it. And certainly Dan has his financial advisors. But he's not really looping in the NFL. It, 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 that doesn't break any rule. It, it is a little bit unusual. But, you know, as we know, the NFL is currently on its second investigation of Dan Snyder. Um, the first one was never released. Uh, the second one has as yet to be completed, uh, largely because Dan is refusing to participate so far. Um, but nonetheless, the, the NFL is investigating him a second time. So I'm not sure, you know, there's reason to think Snyder doesn't entirely trust, uh, you know, his his co-owners at the NFL and maybe not the league office and just prefers to handle this himself and let them know uh, when he's got a buyer, he wants them to approve. If and when he uh, finds a buyer that that meets the price he wants and if and when he really decides he does want to sell the whole team, I'm not convinced he is convinced he wants to sell the whole team or has to sell the whole team or um, if his hand is ultimately forced, is that something he can kick down the road a year, two years? I don't know. 
Wow. I was going to ask you if you feel as if Dan Snyder is in fact going to sell majority ownership of the Commanders, but uh, you just answered that question. You know, the why behind Dan doing this 180 and deciding to sell, or at least deciding to consider selling the Commanders is important. The Washington Post on November 17th reported that Dan has until 2028 to repay the loan that he took out to buy out his now three former minority owners of the team, Robert Rothman, Dwight Shaw, and Fred Smith. One of the conclusions that I think that we've all come to via this ordeal is that Dan does have a cash flow problem to at least some degree. And so him deciding to sell the commanders or at least him considering selling the commanders ultimately is about money, a lack of money, a lack of cash. And not necessarily the scandals or the investigations or any of those things. Is that how you see this? Yeah, and um, sorry to be so casual. Yeah, no, but I do want to like clarify a few things. I I, I do think. I mean, as with as with all uh, billion dollar businesses, m- money is kind of what drives the train. Um, but no, I don't think this is a moral epiphany, some sort of awakening. <laughs> uh, you know, it, 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 that rarely is what drives any any NFL team. Um, but so specifically, back to the money, um, just to be clear that your your listeners understand what the NFL did for Dan Snyder was approve a debt waiver. So all NFL owners are allowed to borrow up to a certain amount against their teams to do business. And that number, that ceiling, rises from time to time. For example, it they raised it during the pandemic because revenues were hit hard. So they upped it for everybody. I've lost track of where it is, but let's say it's at 500 uh Sorry, I, I, the zeros confused me. Let's say it's at five hundred million. Everybody can borrow five hundred million against their team. So what the NFL did for Dan Snyder when the partnership broke up, you know, when he got sideways with his co-owners and they wanted to sell, and he wanted to block uh, them from selling or selling to a particular group. Um, it was going to go to court, probably, and nobody wanted that outcome. So the league said, we're going to solve this. Uh, we're going to let you borrow above the debt ceiling by $450 million. Now, the league didn't loan him one penny. There's no, there's no debt to the league. They just gave him permission to blow past the debt ceiling. So he had to get the money from a bank um, a, or a consortium of the banks. So let's say... Well, so so he would be. Uh, I, I don't want to put a number to it, but um, he would he would have borrowed quite a lot against the team. You know, when you go past that by four hundred and fifty million, he got that loan from a bank and bought out the partners. Happy ending. It seemed to a lot of people at the time, wow, the NFL just made Dan Snyder stronger than ever. He now owns the whole team. He's in the driver's seat. Yes, that's true, but the money has to be repaid. It's like if I never had to pay down my mortgage, I'd be pretty happy too, but I do have a monthly mortgage payment. So Dan has payments that have to be made. Um, So both to the bank for that loan, and then he has to prove to the NFL that he's back in compliance. So the NFL would would say not only you can blow past this debt waiver, I mean, you, the debt ceiling, but you have to be back 
within compliance in a certain amount of time. A certain number of years, you've got to have that paid off. Again, not don't pay the NFL because you don't owe us, but you have to have no more debt than anybody else um, in a certain number of years. So it was actually Jerry Jones, of all people, who first publicly indicated, yeah, there's, there's reason for Dan maybe to be looking to sell the team because there's a lot of debt. There's a lot of debt here involved. Um, and this coincided with a time in which local revenues on the commanders have cratered. As you know, they have gone from first in the league in attendance to 32nd. Um, you, anybody could look at the signage and say, gee, they've lost some sponsors here. They don't even have a beer sponsor. I mean, very few teams don't have a beer sponsor. So the, that pot of local revenue, which is what each owner can keep for himself as opposed to sharing with other NFL owners, that's cratered. So it's he, he's carrying a maximum debt plus 450 um, well, I don't know that he's at maximum debt, but he, he has that waiver. It's a big number. Um, when the local revenues have gone down. So money, I'm sure he's feeling this pressure. But um, he's a really shrewd businessman, and he may make the money work out. And not to have the longest answer in the history of podcasting, but <laughs> I, there is a relevant point that just came up um, for your wonky listeners. If and when the NFL allows private equity firms to invest in teams, just like the NBA allows and Major League Baseball and hockey, um, they currently, those other leagues allow 20% of a team to be owned by a private equity firm as opposed to a person. So the moment the NFL joins the, joins the trend and agrees to allow this, Dan Snyder's position gets a lot stronger as as the owner of this team. In other words, he's going to have more bidders than he used to have. And he might even be able to sell 20% of his team and continue as an owner. Wow. I mean, in, in other words, without feeling, that would alleviate a, a, whatever debt issues I mean, every NFL owner carries debt, but, um, you know, if he's feeling the squeeze on debt, if you sell 20% of uh, a five or $6 billion enterprise, you can retire a lot of debt. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, they didn't approve private equity to be clear, but, um, it, it, it is being discussed at the meeting now. And some people say it's inevitable. Um, so what is inevitable? Is it six months, a year, five years? It's inevitable. They have to allow this because the the price of these teams is escalating so fast. The world is running out of mega billionaires. Billionaires can't afford an NFL team now. Mega billionaires are the only ones who can afford an NFL team. And it's a small pool of people. We are getting excellent insight on the sale of the Commanders and on the Dan Snyder saga from sports writer Liz Clark of the Washington Post. At this point, there's not a lot about Dan that's shocking, but the report from the Washington Post late night on Sunday night that Dan thus far has declined to be interviewed by Mary Jo White as she conducts her investigation into Dan and the team, despite the Commanders having promised full cooperation with the investigation, is there anything that can be done to make Dan agree to be interviewed by Mary Jo White, or is him being interviewed by her ultimately up to him? Mm-hmm, 
<laughs> so technically, if you read the NFL bylaws, it says in there, you must cooperate with NFL investigations. You know, you know, black and white, must do it. So what we don't know is whether this is an ongoing negotiation between Snyder's lawyers and Mary Jo White about the terms of this interview, the date, the circumstance, what questions he will permit, what, you know, this, that, and the other. And if this sounds familiar, it's because it is. That is what preceded his ultimate testimony before Congress, you know, which took about three months to figure out. Congress invited him to be interviewed. He declined. Then they said they tried to serve a subpoena to legally make him testify. His lawyer refused to accept the subpoena, but didn't say never in his lifetime will he accept the subpoena. It's like, we don't, we don't trust the process. We have concerns about fairness. He's out of the country. He is doing this, that, and the other. Your dates are no good. I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't know that he's flat out said, hell no, never am I going to speak to Mary Jo White uh, because I don't recognize this as a legitimate inquiry and am therefore in violation with NFL policy. That would, it seems to me, be easily addressed. If it's an ongoing, gee, we just can't pin him down um, and play out the string, I, I don't know when you when you call quits. In other words, I imagine Mary Jo White could declare her investigation over whenever she feels it's over. It seems like she's doing her best to make sure Dan's version of events is reflected. You, you'd want to have that. Um, so I, I, I don't know where that stands, but it, it seems to be uh, holding up the resolution. Um, it seemed like a pretty straightforward investigation, but that was 13 months ago. Yeah. So a lot <laughs> of people are saying, what in the world is taking 13 months? Now, it has taken a whole new turn. It, it started out about a specific allegation of sexual harassment um, against Dan himself, against Snyder himself. Um, but then it, it uncovered an allegation of financial wrongdoing on at least two different issues. So so it's gotten more complicated, but it also is 13 months by a very skilled investigator. Um, so so this is seems to be one window on why it's taking so long. Something else that you guys at the Washington Post have had, February 27th, the report that Dan Snyder was demanding that other NFL owners indemnify him against any future legal liability and expenses if he sells the team, angering some NFL owners and NFL commissioner Roger Goodell. Do you think that Dan being granted indemnification is realistic or is that an automatic and forever no from the NFL? Um, I think our understanding is it's an automatic never going to happen from the NFL um, to the point that some might say, why isn't he indemnifying us? You know, I mean, it's so <laughs> yeah. kind of such a wow. Yeah. yeah, And I'm not being flipped because, I mean, this is serious business. I, it, it is, you know, I totally get why you're laughing. But, you know, to some people, it's like, yes, that's not how it works. Not going to happen. Now, that said, 
as I understand it, and I'm not obviously an MBA or, uh, you know, deal in billions, but big, big transactions, it's expected, you know, that uh, a seller or, uh, you know, there's an indemnification agreement. It's not preposterous to raise that question, Um, but, you know, there's really no such thing as blanket indemnification, uh, a demand, you know, the fact that it was expressed as a demand or I'm going to sue, you know, that that was also not a real typical way of, of starting this discussion. Um, so my, my understanding is it would, it would be great if one of the buyers said, not only are we going to pay you, um, you know, $6 billion for your asset, you know, we're willing to talk about indemnification and we might indemnify you. In other words, we might take care of any future legal claims against you, you know, but you'd limit that. You'd put a cap on it, and like up to X dollar or maybe in this category, like, I mean, I'm making this up. Let's say we'll indemnify you against future claims if another railing falls in FedEx field and injures somebody or if future or play or past players develop cancers because of AstroTurf on the field from years ago. I mean, you know, I'm just saying the landscape of potential lawsuits are vast. Mm-hmm. It could be environmental, health and safety. It could be sexual harassment. It could be financial fraud. I mean, just in the scope of business, I'm not even talking specifically about this case. But, you know, a normal indemnification discussion or negotiation would be, here's the cap, here's the category, we'll do this. So, you know, I'm not saying he won't be indemnified, but I do not believe it's going to be by the NFL. It might be by a buyer who wants to make their offer as attractive as possible. Makes sense. Uh, I don't know if this next question is veering into uncomfortable territory. If it is, uh, just tell me and we'll move on. But Congress's House Committee on Oversight and Reform this past June 22nd, just hours before the start of a congressional hearing in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal, released a mountain of what was new evidence at the time, including documents pertaining to, quote, a shadow investigation to influence the NFL's internal investigation into workplace misconduct at the team. Lawyers for Mr. Snyder used their shadow investigation to create a 100-slide dossier with private emails, text messages, telephone records, and social media posts from journalists, victims, and witnesses who had made credible public accusations of harassment against the commanders, end quote. Well, among those journalists who were investigated in Dan's shadow investigation was you. And there was a slide of you with your face and bullet points on you as a journalist. Uh, What was that like for you, finding out that Dan Snyder had conducted a shadow investigation involving you? Well, I mean, I would certainly tell you if something was uncomfortable, but at my age, as many years as I've been a journalist, you know, I I have a pretty thick skin and and I can tolerate a lot of discomfort. I mean, if it were something that was never made public, I probably wouldn't discuss it, but it, it was 
kind of aired in this public hearing, so there's no big secret. I mean, I'm, I was very grateful that I have been a journalist 37 years. Um, you know, I was on the beat of the former Redskins when Dan Snyder bought the team, so I met him when he was 34. You know, I've been in the market for forever, so I, I kind of know how he's evolved as a businessman and an owner, and I had covered... Um, for several years, the the reality that many former employees faced who were much younger than I, you know, when private investigators came to their home or, you know, they, you know, the, the different tactics to, to either intimidate or find out who was talking to who when Dan Snyder was convinced that um, the journalism that was happening was was part of some vast conspiracy uh, or hit job or hatchet job against him as opposed to legitimate journalism. So, I'm sorry, I, I, I say big preamble. So, in other words, I there was nothing in his playbook that shocked or surprised me. Um, I knew that he was using an obscure legal provision to get courts to... to to give him access to phone records and emails and texts of his own employees. I, I covered those stories. I knew that's what he was doing. And part of the reason he was doing it was to figure out, were any of his former employees talking to reporters who were, or, or talking to the people he thought were out to get him? So he could not get my phone records because I'm quite sure the Washington Post, my employer, would would prevent that from happening, um, you know, just legally with uh, um, privileges that go with the First Amendment. But um, uh, anyway, courts were letting him have his employees' records. So part of how I landed on his dossier of perceived enemies was because my phone number showed up as one that was called or placing calls to his former employees. So I found it sort of amusing um, just because that is my job. My job is to call people, to talk to people. So that is what I do. Um, and uh, by no means did he have access to the content of those conversations. He, he could not know, were we talking about first-round draft picks or, you know, the parking situation at, at the facility or the fact, you know, whatever, whatever else. So um, it's no shock that my number popped up a lot. Uh, I found it funny that someone, he paid someone to count the number of times <laughs> that, that my number was called and paid that same person probably a handsome hourly rate to compute the number of minutes and hours that my number was called, you know, but is this to what end? I don't know what purpose that served because, again, my job is to talk to people. It, it's it, I talk to all kinds of people, good people, bad people, you know, <laughs> who everybody. That's my job. So I had nothing to fear. Um, I thought he spent a lot of money finding out stuff that was meaningless about me, um, uh, including who followed me on social media and who I followed, and that does not a conspiracy make. 
No, not at all. Uh, sports writer Liz Clark of the Washington Post. Uh, Liz, congrats on your retirement. Uh, you were one of the authors of the piece by the Washington Post that forever changed everything with the team, now called the Commanders. The Washington Post on July 16th, 2020, published a story that was written by you and Will Hobson and had been anticipated for days. The headline, quote, from dream job to nightmare, end quote, and beneath that read, quote, more than a dozen women allege sexual harassment and verbal abuse by former team employees at Redskins Park, end quote. And nothing for the team has been the same since. And, you know, I'm not trying to get all philosophical or anything like that, but one of the good things about investigative journalism, as you know, is that it can affect positive change. So a salute to you, and uh, thanks a lot for your time. Al, you're way too generous. The career has been a privilege every day, and I certainly was not, the goal was never to be a change agent, but I am proud that we gave some employees a chance to tell their stories. You know, as far as the outcome that the owner wants, that the NFL wants, that the fan base wants, I leave that to them. That is not not for me to say, but um, but every day of my job has been a privilege, and and thank you very much. All right. Great stuff from Liz Clark. If you have like 20 seconds, uh, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. Uh, You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long, can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot. And so thank you very much for doing them. Well, with opening day of the 2023 MLB regular season on Thursday, we had surprising Orioles news on Monday afternoon. The O's on Monday afternoon optioned starting pitcher Grayson Rodriguez to AAA Norfolk. Uh, This would be the same Grayson Rodriguez who, per MLB Pipeline, is the number seven prospect in baseball and the number two pitching prospect in baseball. This would be the same Grayson Rodriguez who was considered, if not a lock, for the Orioles' regular season opening rotation than a very likely member of the team's regular season opening rotation. But instead, Tyler Wells has made the Orioles' regular season opening rotation, not Grayson Rodriguez. So the Orioles' regular season opening rotation is Kyle Gibson, Dean Kramer, and then the following three pitchers in some order, Cole Irvin, Kyle Bradish, and Tyler Wells. Uh, it was on Sunday afternoon that the O's optioned their number two pitching prospect, lefty D.L. Hull, to minor league camp, although that was more about stretching out Hull, who late last season pitched as a reliever. This demotion of Grayson Rodriguez is about him pitching poorly. Rodriguez had a terrible exhibition season. Uh, five starts, 15 and a third innings, an ERA of 7.04, a whip of 1.57. He did strike out, guys, 11.15 strikeouts per nine innings, but he did not look major league ready. Uh, this was Orioles executive vice president and general manager Mike Elias in a session with reporters on Monday afternoon on the optioning of Grayson Rodriguez to AAA Norfolk. Yeah, I, he just didn't really have a good start this spring and, um, you know, kind of didn't get out of the, the fourth inning. Um, and, uh, you know, even even at the end, that was the case. And it seemed like that uh, second time through the order and that third inning was an issue. I thought he um, wasn't able to establish his slider uh, as well as we've seen him do in the past. 
command's not as good as we've seen him do in the past. Um, and these other guys uh, stayed healthy and uh, pitched better, and they all have major league track records. And they've earned these spots too. And um, you know, like I said, I think that uh, coming down to really to him and Wells for the for the final spot, these are starting pitchers, and they're good ones, and they're big parts of our organization now and in the future. And to take them and put them into the bullpen um, is not something that, that, that we want to do lightly. We're going to need all these starting pitchers to get through the season, and um, it's just it's just the start of the season. This isn't this isn't anything permanent. Um, I've never seen a team go through the entire year with the same five starting pitchers for the whole season. Um, so we're going to need more starters. We're going to need Grayson. We're going to need D.L. Hall. We're going to need Watkins. We're going to need Zimmerman. We're going to need all these guys. And, um, you know, they're just starting the year off the roster, but that can change in one day. Yes, it could. Uh, now, the cynical take on this demotion of Grayson Rodriguez would be that the O's are trying to play with his Major League service time and do not want him at the Major League level until the point at which he doesn't get credit for this season and thus the O's get an extra season of team control on him. But I actually don't think that that is what is going on here. And Mike Elias on Monday afternoon said the following about Major League service time being a factor in who they have on their Major League roster. No, I really get... um frustrated with that topic too um you know we we have uh five pitchers five starting pitchers here um with all of them you know established uh, major league success as starting pitchers and um you know they um had good camps better camps than 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 these guys um and um it, you know it really wasn't tough um, to to decide on that on that last rotation spot through the lens of who do we want to help us win these games in at least the first five games of the season. We'll take it from there after those games. Um, and once you get past that, okay, do we want to put these guys in the bullpen? And the answer is no. And so we we option them. But um, we've you know, uh, Adley got hurt last year. That was unfortunate. As soon as he was healthy, we brought him up. Gunnar Henderson, we brought him up. Um, he's obviously making the team. Um, you know, we, we when guys are ready and the job is theirs and there's not better options, we bring them up to the major league team. We're going to continue to do that. Um, this, this group's working their butts up. We're getting better, and there's a lot of competition. And to send some of these guys out is very difficult. Um, but it would also be wrong of us to send out, um, you know, a somebody – more accomplished, had a better spring, has earned it, is looking sharper um, because because um, you know somebody was a, a high pick or something a couple of years ago. That's we're not we're out of that mode, and you know we're going to go with the best guys um, and um, put ourselves in the best position to win these games. Yeah, I do think that had Grayson Rodriguez looked better this exhibition season, he would be in the Orioles' regular season opening rotation. And I would think that if he looks good for AAA Norfolk over, say, I don't know, four or five starts, he'll be brought up to the majors. At the same time, the service time thing is an added bonus. And it is something to think about, especially now with him beginning this season at AAA. Like, the service time may not be the reason for the demotion, but the service time is now in play. But, you know, ultimately, Grayson Rodriguez just needs to pitch better. The idea is for this guy to be an ace for the O's. The expectations for Grayson Rodriguez at the major league level are very high. Uh, This was Mike Elias on Monday afternoon on what he wants to see from Rodriguez at Norfolk. 
and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange. I think he needs to um, look like himself and and you know get get some longer outings. It's just um, you know this this was not um, um, you know ready to, to jump into a major league rotation. Just getting getting um, not past the fourth inning. And um, you know we know what he's capable of, and um, I, you know I think I, it's a. It, I wasn't expecting this, and um, you know we we were hoping that that he would show up as a, a better version of himself than I think we got here, and we just had five other guys that were more deserving at this point in time. But I know what he's capable of. I think he's going to show it again really quickly. As soon as he does, we're going to be uh, all over it. So your so your belief in the belief in the organization is that obviously there's a lot of talk. Spring training stats may not be as important. It's not about the stats as much as it is the way that he looked and the fact that he couldn't you know really get past that fourth inning there. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I, I think stats is a literal word. We have a lot of stuff we look at. We have a lot of data. Um, we have a lot of information and um, command and establishing pitches and getting through innings um the the subjective part of it is is big too um so i think with all of those things um we prefer the five other starters to start the season and um as i said i do not want to relegate him to a bullpen role given the potential that he has and what we're going to need from him in the near future and then also the long-term future so this was uh, the right move for the team in, in my uh, estimation but had had any one of those five um, not surpassed him, um, I think he's the, he's the next guy in there. So that's pretty much the case as of right now. Yeah, we should be seeing Grayson Rodriguez pitching for the O's at the major league level sooner rather than later. Just uh, not as soon as we thought. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 538, will include a lot for you on the Commanders as the NFL's annual league meeting at the Biltmore in Phoenix, Arizona continues. We expect Commanders head coach Rod Rivera to be speaking to reporters on Tuesday morning. Also on Wednesday show, I'll talk Wizards. So the Wizards home to the second best team in the Eastern Conference, the Boston. Boston Celtics, Tuesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. My overall overriding interest is that that uh, Washington team and that Washington area have the kind of team that uh, they are and should be. It's one of our top handful of franchises in this country. It's a national treasure. It really is.